Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome to the No Ceilings NBA Live Mock Draft. It is a day before the NBA Draft. We are almost there, folks. We are almost there. I'm Nick Agar Johnson. I'm going to be your host today for this No Ceilings Mock Draft V8, and I'm joined for pick number one by Nathan and Maxwell. Nathan, Maxwell, I'm sure you've been heavily debating your decision here. I'm sure there have been a number of names that you've been thinking about here because clearly there's so many different decisions to make. San Antonio Spurs on the clock and... I'm sure there are multiple different names in consideration because clearly we have no idea who the Spurs are going to pick here. But Nathan Maxwell, over to you. Who are you picking number one for the San Antonio Spurs? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Nathan. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of rush to the podium here and, and make our <laughs> selection. When there's a generational big man, you got to take him. Gonzaga's Drew Timmy uh, is this <laughs> our man. Uh, no, it's, it's Victor Wembanyama. Uh, Victor is, he's the guy. He's seven foot five. He won an MVP, a defensive player of the year, led his team to the finals in the French pro league, which is a good pro league um, demonstrated growth in terms of his physicality. The season got to the line a lot more tremendous jump shot for a player, his size and his age. And Nathan, you can kind of talk about the defense and the other elements of his game that, that stand out to you. I mean, we can talk about the other elements to his game, but I think the, the biggest, the biggest nugget I've been able to pick up over the last few days is, you know, he's come to the States, but he's been doing a lot of media spots, a lot of interviews, and just the type of person that he is, right? How he carries himself, how he's dedicated and determined to do every single little thing that's going to allow him to have a long and lengthy career on the court. If you are concerned about injuries for someone who's 7'4", 7'5", I promise you he's going to do everything he can to be on the court and wants to be on the court. Even as said, he's going to play in summer league, so we won't have to wait long to see him play his first NBA minutes or, or first summer league minutes, I should say. So I just love everything I'm hearing about him. And, and we know how special he is on both sides of the ball. Generational prospect. Yeah, despite my sarcastic intro, I think pretty much everybody who's tuned in to even a second of draft coverage of any kind this season knows that Victor Wembanyama is going to be the pick here. And I mean, well-deserved, you know, we're seeing some of his highlights up on the screen. This dude is just has a potential to be a generational talent on both ends of the floor and yeah I don't think anyone is particularly surprised by the pick here I mean my biggest concern honestly is he threw out the first pitch for my New York Yankees the other day it didn't look great so not quite sure about you know him being the potential fifth starter for the Yankees but you know basketball wise I think it's hard to go wrong with Victor Wembanyama. well to be fair the picture of him holding the ball it would be like trying to throw a pee Oh my God. It looked like a ping pong size person, but that's like, but that's another thing that just makes him so special is like with just his length of his hands, even like he's able to get to balls and block shots on the perimeter that a lot yep. of guys can never even think about contesting, uh, let alone actually getting a hand on it. He's, he's just so special and I can't wait to see what he has in store in San Antonio. You, you mean he's not going to be the next Randy Johnson? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Nick? He could be. I, I got a little excited and tweeted that he was Randy Johnson 2.0 yesterday. <laughs> I, I really thought he was going to maybe do the, the multi-sport thing for a little bit too. But hey, I, th I, think, he, I think he's got a, a nice fallback plan with basketball. Well, I have full confidence that he could throw a baseball hard enough to kill a bird mid-flight. So the Randy Johnson comparisons are definitely apt. I, I see where you're coming from there. 
For sure. For sure. All right. So that is the first pick off the board. Surprising, I'm sure, absolutely no one that Victor Wembanyama is the selection for the San Antonio Spurs. And I'm sure absolutely no one will be surprised when that selection is made tomorrow night. But we're moving on to pick number two here for the Charlotte Hornets. And I've got the Tylers here. Rucker, Metcalf, how are we doing? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Metcalf, we've been talking about this forever. Nick, I've been talking to you about this forever. I mean, it's it's almost here. So I'm excited for this mock draft, baby. So the Charlotte Hornets are on the clock at number two. And, you know, just again, despite all my sarcastic words earlier, it's been pretty clear that Victor Wembanyama was going to be the first player off the board. And so really a lot of the buzz heading into draft night tomorrow night has been just what the Charlotte Hornets are going to do with that number two overall pick. So throwing it to the two of you, what are your thoughts? What direction are you thinking for Charlotte here now that they're on the clock at two? Well, Metcalf, I feel like me and you have gone back and forth of this decision. Um, I know what I would do, Mm -hmm. but I also am obsessed with tracking the betting lines. I'm going to let you make the call on this one. Are we thinking it's Scoot or are we thinking it's Brandon Miller? Yeah, the, the, those are the only two names that should be in consideration here. I think both of us uh, would go scoot, but what the Hornets do is something entirely different. And I think on draft night, they're going Brandon Miller. Um, you know, we, we, we just talk about fit and at, you know, put at, at his size, his shooting ability, his scoring versatility. He has a fascinating mid-range game that he didn't even get to show off at Alabama because their their entire offense is either threes or layups. Um, he defends, he rebounds, even when the shot isn't falling, he's finding different ways to contribute to a game. So by no means is this a bad pick for the Hornets. Um, but just at his size, the, the, the two-way versatility and the fit alongside LaMelo should be really seamless. Rucker, your thoughts. No, I'm, I'm right there with Metcalf. I feel like we've we've talked about it plenty where it's, yeah, obviously Scoot would be an unbelievable pick here, even with LaMelo Ball there. But I think Brandon Miller is right there. It, it makes all the sense to me in the world. He has so much offensive game that I think we just got teased with this year at Alabama that I think he's going to even showcase it next year with, if this is Charlotte. Like, I, I think there's a lot of stuff that people are going to be wild about. Now, obviously, like, the finishing at the rim numbers, everyone was hot on that in the beginning of the year. But I do think he got better. Um, I think he's much more athletic than people give him credit for. There's mid-range stuff. He's an outside shooting weapon. And, you know, I think he's an unbelievable playmaker. So if Charlotte is convinced this is the route and, um, you know, you're you're adding a lot of stuff that we've been wanting the Hornets to add over the last couple of years when it comes to length shooting outside now they got someone that can space the floor consistently um i understand it i I still think it's going to be a great pick all right so looks like the tylers are going with brandon miller here at two overall so the charlotte hornets have selected brandon miller now let's move on to the next pick up we have the portland trailblazers and Corey and albert draft deck crew here to represent portland in the house up up close and personal um albert i think you know, for us, um, this is, you know, turned into a uh, much easier decision now for Portland um, than, you know, uh, maybe we had envisioned early on. Um, and uh, I-, I think that we- they're going to go Scoot Henderson here if if they end up keeping this pick. No, uh, absolutely. I-, I think he's the only option here. Um, pretty simple one here. I mean. 
I know in your heart of hearts, Corey, um, you might be considering Jairus here. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think the smart decision, obviously, is to take Scoot here. I'm a guy that I think most people had going number two. So the fact that we're getting here at three to Portland is uh, incredible value. And um, if I could speak about his game a little bit, you know, I was there uh, in Vegas with uh, Tyler Rucker for the Scoot Victor exhibition. And um, it was pretty amazing. It was pretty incredible to see up close and personal, uh, up close in person and to see Scoot's first off his physique. Um, something I was telling my friends recently was when in during layup lines, when we were on the floor and Scoot was going up for dunks and layup lines, it just felt like like a super saiyan, like when he's about to jump and all the energy and wind and air starts moving. You could feel him going up in the air is kind of how Scoot was. So um, pretty incredible athletic specimen, but also like watching him play was absolutely incredible. He was just going head to head with Victor, just wanted him to know like, hey, man, I know everyone's talking about you for the number one pick, but I deserve to be in the conversation. Just locked horns with him and was really awesome to watch. Um, I think Metcalf actually wrote a beautiful piece about his playmaking and seeing that up close in person was awesome as well. He, he can really work that pick and roll and make high level reads. So, um, you know, you want to talk about a super freak athlete who can really pass the ball that can really score the ball that eventually I think, <clears throat> excuse me, eventually I think will be a three level scorer. Um, Scoot's a pretty easy choice at three for me. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. So that's the Portland trailblazers off the board at three and the consensus top three picks are now off the board. Victor Weminyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson. This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And now Paige is up on the board with me, actually, for the Houston Rockets at fourth overall. So, Paige, I want to get your thoughts here. What are you thinking? What direction should we be going in for the Houston Rockets here? Uh, Paige, you're muted. Rookie mistake. Um, yeah, there was a lot of ways the Houston Rockets could go, right? Um, the, the Tyler's kind of talked about Anthony Black here as a possible fit, but... I think, you know, since we're only one day away, everything's kind of in, you know, hindsight, right? So I think Amen Thompson is the pick here. I think him and Jalen Green would make for an excellent uh, backcourt duo. You know, they can pressure the rim. You know, they're insane athletes, have insane first steps. And also Amen Thompson is an awesome passer to be paired with uh, Alperin Sengun, which I think is a really good fit for the Rockets. And he's going to be coached by Ime Adoka which I think is a good fit for him in general as well. 
Yeah, the Houston Rockets so desperately needed a primary point guard last season, and that's what they're getting here with the men Thompson, you know, someone who can run the show, who can score with the ball in his hands, of course, as well. But, you know, a lot of what the Houston Rockets needed last year was just a really solid distributor, someone who's going to make the right read, someone who can keep the offense flowing, you know, someone who's not going to get the ball stopped in his hands. And I think that's the kind of player that they're getting here with Amen Thompson, you know, makes a whole lot of the rest of their offensive roster construction makes sense. And you mentioned Shangun. I mean, the two man game between them, I think is going to be something incredible to see if a man does end up being the pick here. So I think this fills a huge area of need for the Rockets. And I mean, ultimately they're getting someone with one of the highest upsides in the class in a man Thompson here. Yeah, for sure. And obviously there's just a lot of questions still surrounding, you know, if a man Thompson shot will, you know, fall. Right. But I think at four, there's no question that the Rockets have to choose a prospect with the highest upside, and that's a man. All right. Seems like that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. I thought there'd be some <laughs> war going on here. <laughs> Maybe next pick. You never know, Nick. <laughs> there's, there's always time for conflict. All right. So with that lovely note, let's move on to the Detroit Pistons at five. So back here with Nathan and Maxwell, the Draft Deeper crew. So Nathan, Maxwell, what directions are y'all thinking for potential picks here for the Detroit Pistons? Well, Maxwell, I mean, we can talk about some of the options. Clearly, by our boards, best available would be a number of forwards, right? So we're talking Jairus Walker. We're throwing Cam Whitmore into the mix, Taylor Hendricks. But I think given where the board is falling, given a lot of what's been rumbling over the last few days, it seems like this front office is going to go a direction they're very familiar with, which is potentially taking the best athlete at the wing position left on the board. That, in my mind, would be Asar Thompson, and I believe that's where we're going with this pick. Maxwell, I don't know where he fell on your last big board. He's around that 9-10 range for me, but if you look at what his upside can be, it can be as one of the best two-way players we have in this entire class, someone who's composed on the offensive end. The jump shot continues to improve. Some of the live dribble playmaking certainly took a leap with, with overtime elite as well. And the best nugget I was able to get through this process was not only from Coach Dave Lado, but also from a number of other people who I got the interview from the overtime elite organization. They talked about Asar's growth, not just on the court, but as a leader for that team, right? For City Reaper, someone who certainly came in, did all the work he needed to, and is just a gym rat, right? He's going to live in the gym. He's going to continue to do everything he can to get better. And again, when we talk about what types of people you should want to take with a top five pick to be a potential pillar or cornerstone for your franchise, Asar and Amen really just seem like two of those guys, and, and they're getting a lot of rave reviews from around the NBA. So makes sense for me at number five for Detroit. Yeah, I think Asar, in a strange way, has started to become one of the more underrated upside players in this class, right? Because everyone talks about a Men Thompson as, you know, the super high ceiling proposition. And I think at a certain point, um, it sort of understates what a star brings to the table. Because with men, yes, he's a little bit more athletic. Yes, he's a little bit more creative, better at the rim, a bit more uh, able to freewheel and make plays on the fly than Asar. Asar is still a really advanced playmaker for mm -hmm. somebody who's 20 years old. He's a, a much better defender. He's much more engaged and active playing off the ball than a man is, which leads to kind of a better complementary uh, element to his game. But also one of the biggest predictive metrics as far as success in basketball goes is, is being better than your peers. And Asar Thompson has been the guy winning these MVP awards in overtime elite. You're getting Great a point. six foot seven guy who is just, he's, he's been a winner and you can say what you want about the level of competition or whatever, but Asar dominates and he doesn't take plays off. 
Um, and I think if you're getting him in this range and you're just continuing to add to the athleticism of this young Pistons court and getting somebody who is so comfortable operating as a sidekick alongside guys like Jaden Ivey and like Cade Cunningham. And if he hits that ceiling and he becomes that guy, great. But if not, you're still just adding another wonderful player to your core. And the transition game that you could have with him, Ivy, Jalen Duran, you're building something really, really fun and exciting. Uh, but you're also adding adding some defense, adding some punch. I love the competition point that you made before we move on and, and that you can only play and then defeat and dominate who's in front of you, right? And to his credit, Asar's done that now for two years in a row. He's done literally what we wanted him to do in the overtime elite program. So hats off to him and what he's been able to accomplish. We'll hope that we can see more of that in the NBA. All right. The top five is now off the board. So we've got in order Victor Wemanyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Amen Thompson, and Asar Thompson, for those of you just joining. And now we're on to pick six. So the first lottery pick here for the Orlando Magic. And I'm bringing the Tylers back on for this one. So Metcalf, Rucker, what are you thinking for the Magic here with the sixth overall pick? I, th- I think this gets really messy and really kind of contentious. Um, so we know the Magic front office always wants positional size and positional skill. That's what they kind of always go for. It doesn't really seem like they're super concerned with shooting. Um, the name Anthony Black really jumps off the board for me, especially if we're talking about a home run swing um, at a position that that front office and team might not be entirely confident in. And for everyone listening and and watching with us on YouTube, we love you guys. Thanks for joining in. This is a a serious one. This is a name that has been pumping around lately and everyone's going to be like, whoa, Orlando going another guard. But this is, this has been the the, the kind of buzz. If you ask around right now, everyone's thinking that it's going to happen. So it makes a lot of sense to me with, with this, just if you're buying the upside of Anthony black being the guy. Now we, we all know how many guards Orlando has, but this isn't going to be a normal guard. Like Anthony Black, 6'7", fantastic playmaking vision. I think the shot's going to come around. I think he's going to be a problem in the next league, um, at the next level, excuse me. And we've seen all these plus-size you know, floor generals have success lately, like LaMelo Ball, Josh Giddy, Lonzo Ball, um, Tyrese Halliburton. It, it, it's just been a, a kind of reoccurring theme with guys in the la- last kind of era for the draft and how the league's shifting. So... I know there's some questions, but I think Orlando here at six, go swing. And if you really are buying in the upside of Anthony Black, it makes a lot of sense. They can always target shooting with 11. And, you know, maybe this could be a SAR if he's still on the board. Maybe it could be another different directions. But for now, this is the name that's popular. Yeah, and I I think it's really important to note, too, that I I think there's a big disparity between his pull-up shooting and his spot-up shooting. Mm -hmm. And when you have him being able to spot up off of guys like Paulo or Franz, then I think the shooting becomes a little less of a concern. It's obviously still not a major weapon for him, but I don't think it's as much of a weakness as it would be. And then you look at them just defensively, the size that they're going to be able to put out there with Anthony Black, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, and then even a guy like Jalen Suggs, who you know we still believe in, there's a lot of two-way versatility that this team is kind of building and taking home run swings on at the same time. All right, so that might be a surprising pick for some, but certainly does fall in the wheelhouse of the kinds of players the Magics have been taking over the past few years. So let's move on now to pick number seven and the Indiana Pacers. We're back on the board with the draft deck crew, Corey and Albert. Corey, Albert, what are your thoughts here for the Pacers? 
Albert, um, it, I, I think that the Pacers front office mm-hmm. and our personal preference for who we would pick uh, are kind of aligned here. Yep. Uh, this is my personal favorite prospect um, in the entire draft. And uh, I think he just fits this front court and this team like a glove, adding a high IQ, high feel, two-way impact guy who is going to not only star in his role, but have the potential to be much, much more. I'm talking about uh, Jarris Walker in this spot. Yeah, I mean, um, as you mentioned, Corey, the stars really aligned here um, with us making the pick and with what Indiana needs. And you talk about high IQ players, um, Jarris getting into that situation, playing next to Halliburton. Uh, pretty fun stuff. Uh, that that's going to be really damn exciting. And um, look, there are other options on the board, but I think if you start to really, I mean, Walker for the both of us, he's top four on both of our personal big boards. So to get him here at pick seven feels like incredible value. And I, I'm sure Indiana has Walker really high on their boards as well. And you know, we're talking about a guy who, uh, as we've mentioned on our own pod in high school was just an unbelievable guy bringing the ball up. I mean, offensively, that is bringing the ball up um, mid range, uh, the passing, right. That he didn't get to really show off too much of uh, in, in college, but, and, and, and then that's not even talking about the defense, what he's going to offer with the versatility and the size, the toughness. Um, he's just an incredibly versatile player on both ends of the floor. So for Indiana to pick him up at this spot, seems like just unbelievable value. No brainer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you two have been championing Jarris all season, so it's fitting that you two get to make the pick for him here for the Pacers. But Jarris is someone that's gotten a lot of no ceilings love all season long, and certainly he's someone who would fill a lot of holes for the Indiana Pacers. But now moving on to the Washington Wizards at pick number eight, and just like we did for the written side of this, Paige and I are teaming up once again to make the selection for the Washington Wizards. So. Paige, I want to throw it over to you. What are you thinking in terms of what the Wizards might do here with the eighth pick now that they've traded away Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis and have really committed to the rebuild? Yeah, the Wizards are kind of all, all over the place, right? I mean, as opposed of- to normal, when they're totally organized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not complaining, though. I mean, Beal went to my son, so happy there. But yeah, they need a guy that's going to come in and kind of change the franchise and be, you know, that guy they can build around, right? Um, You know, you can go a few different ways here. You know, you can go Anthony Black, but, you know, he's off the board at number six to Orlando Magic. So that's not an option. Kaysen Wallace is another fit that, you know, you and I have talked about. Um, But I think there's one prospect in particular that has had quite the big of rise throughout the season, and that's Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Um, Our own Tyler Metcalf has been talking about him since the jump. He's a guy that can come in. He can – he has – awesome feel for the game, great playmaking ability, insane rim finisher. I mean, he's shooting like 70% from the rim, which is crazy, especially at his height um, and size. Um, He can go in there. He has great shooting ability too. And just from the beginning of the year when he was shooting like 20% from three and only averaging like nine points to his last nine games, he shot 40% and was averaging 19 points. I mean, that's the kind of guy, you know, you want to buy into him and his upside and his momentum. So I think Kobe Bufkin is a pick here. 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's the kind of combo guard who you can rely on to run an offense in spurts while also being someone who can reliably score off the ball. As you mentioned, his ability to finish around the basket is insane and will really help in terms of, you know, getting pressure on the rim for this Wizards squad now that both Beal and Kristaps Porzingis are out of the picture. So, yeah, I mean, Kobe Bufkin is someone who a lot of teams will be looking his way. He's, you know, a guard who you can imagine fitting into pretty much any lineup construction. So there are going to be a lot of teams that are looking Kobe Bufkin's way, but yeah, I, I like the pick for us here going with the Washington Wizards taking Kobe Bufkin at eight overall. Let's move on now to the Utah Jazz at ninth. And so back here with the draft deeper crew, Nathan Maxwell. Nathan Maxwell, what are you thinking in terms of potential selections here for the Utah Jazz at ninth overall? Maxwell, I don't know about you. We, we should be running up to the podium at this point, given a certain player who's on the yeah. board. I, I don't even think we need to waste any time talking about other options. This can't yeah, wait. Okay, more. we get it. You love Bryce Sensible. <laughs> I wish. We got to go. Bryce could be an option, Cam. but I, I, I think I'm we're sorry, going. I opened my mouth. I think we're going with Cam Whitmore out of Villanova, and you know Maxwell. I, I know you're probably going to give a more thorough breakdown about his game than I am, but I just want to point out one thing: when we think about drafting in the lottery, usually we talk about fit in terms of you know what can this player do to strengthen up some of our weaknesses, right? And and sometimes it's not necessarily about that. It's more so rookies generally don't impact winning at a high level. So when you're a team like the Utah Jazz, who have had multiple people within that organization come out and say, we want to be competitive next year, how about we actually try and fortify some of our strengths, right? Like this is a team that can finish well at the rim. This is a team that knows how to operate in the mid-range. They do need some help shooting from three-point range, but when you think about what Whitmore does well, right? Six foot seven, big, strong body, great finisher at the rim, someone who can play a little bit on the ball, a little bit off the ball, certainly a better shooter than I think some people would have anticipated coming in shooting over 34% from three point range. But even defensively, he plays into a lot of what this team wants to do, which is be able to guard multiple positions, create turnovers. And really just the type of versatility he brings on the wing is something that this team doesn't have yet on the roster so they get to fill a positional need while also playing into some of their strengths as a team in general yeah this is something that we we talked about on the podcast recently where this is a team that is like kind of surprisingly thin when it comes to guys that are in that like six foot five to six foot eight range they have a ton of like big big size but they don't have a lot of like traditional wing size players on this roster and the ones that they do have are are getting up there in age so bringing in a guy like cam whitmore who is really going to defend at those positions and, and just make life difficult for opposing wings you can even take tougher assignments. If you want to kind of bottle up Lori Markin and let him run wild on the other end, give Walker Kessler, another guy to just prevent guys from even getting inside the paint. And then on offense, you're getting a, a, another just level of dynamism, another guy that's going to get downhill, someone else you can catch and make jump shots. Um, and it's also an environment where like this jazz team is, planning to stay competitive and i think there's real benefit to that from a young player where he's going to kind of get to work through these issues at his own pace um the fact that he might not have the most advanced handle that his mid-range game uh hasn't really had to be developed at all because he generally just gets where he wants the speeding up of the decision making it's all stuff that he can kind of slowly rep out and develop his game into being a more complete prospect all right, so Nathan and Maxwell were sprinting up to the podium to make this selection at nine. I have a feeling that the Tylers will, if not you know, sprinting up to the podium for this one, they're certainly going to at least be at a light jog on their way to the podium for this pick for the Dallas Mavericks at 10th overall. So Tyler, Tyler, what are you thinking here for the Mavericks? 
Metcalf, this one would be tough because, you know, we've even heard, you know, Fisher has said he would bet the bank, his words exactly, that Dallas is trading this pick out. But we've always seen things change on draft night when the board falls a certain way. So if if someone like Taylor Hendricks, in my opinion, was on the board, does Dallas potentially change their mind and be like, eh, that trade might have looked nice, but we weren't expecting this guy to be on the board. What way would you go? I mean, it, it should, because when you when you think of Dallas, what do they need? They need shooting and they need defense. Oh, look, hey, Taylor yeah, Hendricks. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He checks both boxes um, at 6'10", incredible rim protector, versatile defender, lethal spot-up shooter. Just imagine him playing off of Luka and Kyrie if they bring him back. It's the exact guy that this team needs. And again, a lot of reporting is saying that this pick is likely on the move, uh, very easily could be on the move, however you want to word it. Even if it is, I think Hendricks, based on how the board has fallen, is the pick here for whoever's trading right, in right. back into 10. I think Hendricks still goes here because he's that good. I think he's pro- easily the best available. Um, so the fact that he, you can get him at 10 is an absolute steal, I think. And you're talking about, I, I'm right there with you. I think whoever gets this pick would be coming up aggressively to get Taylor Hendricks. Maybe it's OKC. That fit would make a ton of sense. We've liked that for a while, but... Or, or Detroit, if they the, yep. that Bogdanovich trade goes through. Exactly. And and Lively's been a popular name around this area. There's a lot of moving parts, but I think if Hendricks was on the board, someone would make an offer to come get him, especially if Dallas is that eager to trade out. But if we're not projecting trades, that's not what we do with mock drafts. I would love the fit for Dallas. Like yes. I, I think it would be an absolute home run, fantastic pick. But, you know, we'll see what happens. There's going to be a lot of fireworks. All right, so the Dallas Mavericks at 10, assuming they stay at the pick, you know, all asterisks that you can put there, whatever. But assuming they stay at 10, they are selecting Taylor Hendricks here. So now let's move on to the second lottery pick for the Orlando Magic. And we've got the draft act crew back, Corey and Albert. So Corey, Albert, the Magic took Anthony Black. Rucker and Metcalf took Anthony Black for the Magic at six. So what directions are you thinking that they might take with their second lottery pick here at eleven? I, I think the Magic have, you know, historically been a front office that really values, like, versatility, length, um, and athleticism, uh, especially the length and athleticism. Um, they want guys that have shown that they can kind of play on or off the ball. Uh, and I think that there's a guy who if you've been paying attention to this draft and specifically uh, the number one player in this draft, you can't help but notice this other guy on the floor with him. I think the magic at this point are taking Bilal Kulabali from Mets 92 here. uh, If he is still on the board at this pick. Um, I really love how Corey just pronounced Bilal's name because I, I don't think I could do the same, but um, I, I I get it. I mean, I think it was the Tylers before they mentioned uh, Orlando. They they like players with uh, good positional size, and I think uh, Koulibaly is going to have that you know prototypical NBA, NBA wing size and measurables. Uh, Victor Wembanyama, uh, I believe that was today or yesterday. It was like, hey, a lot of American players lie about measurables, but uh, Koulibaly isn't. Um, also, there's like some smoke that the Spurs are looking to try to 
go and get Koulibaly to pair him up with Victor, which I think would be really interesting and a lot of fun. But um, no, Koulibaly is going to be, uh, I, I think he's going to be a really good player, a guy who's going to offer a ton defensively from day one. Um, I, I think the shooting stuff, we'll see. Um, didn't shoot it a ton, uh, but I, I think it looks good. I think it'll be there, terror and transition. So uh, it's a good, I think it's a good pick here. I mean, we, Personally, I don't feel like we've uh, addressed the shooting so much here, the shooting problem with Orlando, but uh, Koulibaly <laughs> may be the answer to that one day. And um, don't think they're going to need him to play major minutes as a rookie anyway. So uh, I, I'm okay with the pick. Albert, so enthusiastic. He's okay with the pick. Love that. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so moving on to the 12th overall pick and calling Paige back up to the stage. Paige, this is another team that we did the lottery preview for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And unfortunately, the guy who we talked about most enthusiastically went two picks before, which was exactly what we predicted would happen in that lottery preview. So I'm at least happy about that. But now that Taylor Hendricks is unfortunately not available for the Oklahoma City Thunder here, what directions are you thinking they might end up going in with the 12th overall pick? Yeah, I mean, and there's another guy, too, that we really liked. It's kind of, you know, one of our guys, Jordan Hawkins, that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I absolutely love, and I know you do, too. But it's kind of not what about what we would do, right? It's kind of about what the team would actually do. So this is a guy that I think, you know, he didn't get to show a lot at his college. Um, he kind of struggled at the beginning of the season, um, came into the season as the number one overall recruit in 2022, kind of just bought into his role and kind of, just, you know, really got down and kind of just was doing anything that was asked of him. You know, he's a great rim protector, can finish at the rim. Um, He also has a lot of uh, shooting touch that he didn't really get to display. But, I mean, he's been doing that since high school at Westtown School in Pennsylvania, and that's Derek Lively. And I think Derek Lively would be the perfect piece for a Thunder team that, you know, thrives off upside, uh, scoring versatility, and, um, and they need rim protection, which, you know, Lively was the best uh, shot blocker in college basketball. So I think that's the pick here. Yeah, you mentioned that in the piece that the Thunder really struggled to defend the rim last year. This was also a rotation that ran incredibly small. I mean, friend of the program, Jalen Williams, spent a lot of time at power forward for them, which, you know, he held up pretty well for a 6'5 rookie, but that's not, you know, exactly the size that you tend to expect. So with the Thunder going with Derek Lively here, I mean, with Chet Holmgren coming back into the fold, this is going to be a team that's just going to be an absolute terror to deal with. I mean, especially in terms of trying to score over those two guys in the paint. I mean, good luck with that. And going from a team that, you know, was clearly on the rise last season, a team that was expected to, you know, kind of struggle. I think kind of struggle is understating it. And yet they're a team that ended up making the play in with Derek Lively, adding him to Chet Holmgren coming back. This is a team that's going to instantly take a huge leap forward in terms of their rim protection. And I mean, on the offensive end, you know, with Lively, you're not going to worry about him taking the ball out of Shea Gilders Alexander's hands or Jalen Williams' hands or Josh Giddey's hands. He had one of the lowest usage rates of any top prospect ever this past season at Duke. And ultimately, if all he does for OKC on the offensive end is just finish lobs and be a terror in the paint on that end, he will certainly make up for any offensive shortcomings with his spectacular shot blocking. So yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense to go with Derek Lively here. Let's now move on to the Toronto Raptors. And so we've got Nathan and Maxwell coming back up for this pick. So Toronto 13 is in a very interesting spot in this lottery. Nathan, Maxwell, what are your thoughts on potential directions the Raptors might go with a 13th overall pick? Well, Maxwell, this is a team that clearly has a major hole to fill at the guard position, right? So Fred Van Vliet opted out. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent. 
it looks like they're going to bring Gary Trent Jr. back into the mix. He wants to be with the Toronto Raptors, so they'll hopefully work out an extension for him. But at that point guard spot, they could still use some help at the combo guard position. They need someone who's either going to step in and be a good starter from day one or someone who's going to help fortify that unit off the bench. And I think either way they would go, particularly trending towards being a starter, hopefully if his development works out, then Keontae George is a name that you're hearing come up very much so for the Toronto Raptors. And for good reason, right? Keontae George... He's someone who we forget about sometimes in these mock draft scenarios when we look at some of the other guards that could be available, like Kobe Bufkin, who went off the board already. Kaysen Voss is still available on the board. But Keontae George, in my opinion, has more upside than both of those guys because of what he's shown on the ball. He is a more creative player with the ball in his hands. He is a very capable shot creator as well as a shot maker. And I understand that some of the percentages didn't work out for his favor at Baylor. But if you look at the type of personnel you get to play with in Toronto, Maxwell, he did not get to play with guys not only as talented as they have in place in Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Scotty Barnes, but they, they just he wasn't able to play with guys that size at Baylor either who can command a defense's attention like they can. OG Ananobi, great spot-up player, great cutter. Scotty Barnes, someone who can run sets with the ball in his hands. Keontae can work off of somebody like him in DHOs. Pascal Siakam, also someone who's able to create in isolation, get downhill from the perimeter. So Keontae would be able to not only play on the ball with those guys, but he'd be able to play off them as well and would hopefully get much higher quality shots to take. And again, there's nothing wrong with his shot mechanically. I buy the shooting touch. I think it's going to improve by the percentages as he continues to further along his NBA career. And if he improves as a playmaker and a defender, he's checking a lot of boxes that he could fill for that backcourt. Yeah, I, and I, I just think the Raptors also just desperately need, like, a shot maker. And, yeah. and maybe he won't be that right away, right? Like, he, he struggled as a, with his efficiency in college this season. But there were just a lot of games where it felt like, oh, no one can get hot on this team. And Keontae George, like, could be that microwave kind of guy. And I know that he had some issues with, you know, turnovers. And if you just look at the assist to turnover numbers this year, they're not great. But there is some real creative juice to him. He plays ball screens a lot of different ways. He'll split seams. He'll reject screens. He knows how to get to his spots. And I think when somebody's able to do those things, it gives you optimism that they can figure out how to set up those other guys too. Um, and the passing flashes are really good. He's just got to get a little bit more consistent with it. But Toronto is an organization. I know it's a new coaching staff now. Um, have a good track record with, with kind of bringing guys along reeling in bad habits, accentuating the positives that players bring to the table. Um, with Toronto, you're filling a position of need, yes, um, but you're also kind of adding a new new twist to your offense with someone who can really just get hot from three. All right, so we are now at the last pick of the lottery here with the New Orleans Pelicans, and so I'm going to bring the Tylers back up to the stage. Rucker, I know that you and I both are a little bit annoyed that he's still available, but I know there's someone in particular that you and I are there would be very happy to pick here if we were making this selection for the New Orleans Pelicans. So now that I've said that, I'm going to throw it to Metcalf instead. Metcalf, what are you thinking in terms of the direction here for the New Orleans Pelicans? Oh, God. So on draft night, this team could go any different way. We've heard about them trading up to two because they desperately want Scoot. Would love that fit for them. But that also kind of shows their hand a little bit that they really want a point guard, that they don't trust their backcourt right now. And obviously Scoot is an outlier in terms of prospect. But I think Cason Wallace here would be an incredible consolation prize. And I, I don't mean to undermine who he is as a player by calling him a consolation prize. But Almost from day one, he would be able to provide some stability, some consistency, and two-way versatility at a very low-maintenance level. All this guy does 
every time he steps foot on the court is play hard and play effective basketball. Uh, one of the best guard defenders in the country. Uh, he, I, I think he shot it way better than a lot of people were expecting this year. And then he was able to just kind of stay composed under pressure when he was in the interior, uh, whether it's playmaking or passing. I, I think he would be a really, really nice fit next to the pieces that New Orleans already has. It's one of my favorite guys, Nick. This is one of my guys in this entire draft. I, I think Kaysen's probably going to be one of the safest potential lottery picks. I, I know we got him going here to 14 to New Orleans. I think his floor is probably 15 with Atlanta. I don't think he gets past that. But this is a guy that could also go as high as, you know, eight. Like he has a very wide range. I, I think there's a lot of fans of Kaysen Wallace in this draft, but. Um, you know, Kobe Bufkin's just been on a serious rise. That's the popular name, even in circles still around the league. I love Case and Wallace. I, I think this is going to be a pick that really a team just finds gold. They find a guy that's going to play for a really long time at this league and be an impactful two-way guard. I thought the shot was something I needed to see develop this year coming in out of high school. It did. It, I mean, it had his ups and downs this year, but it was very promising for most of the year. Um, it's going to be interesting with his back injury. If maybe the medicals are kind of shaky on that, but he's a gamer. This is exactly what you want to add to a new Orleans team that, you know, has pieces, but obviously they need to get some backcourt consistency and get the right mentality. So I, I'd absolutely love case and Wallace here. Rucker, you mentioned that Kaysen Wallace is one of your guys in this draft, as you sort of hinted at. He's one of my guys in this draft, too, for sure. So I'm definitely very happy that he does at least end up going in the lottery here for us, going 14 to the New Orleans Pelicans. Now we are out of the lottery at pick 15 for the Atlanta Hawks. So if you thought it was chaotic before, oh, you are in for a treat because it's about to go absolutely <laughs> off the rails. Here we go, folks. Have fun. Here we go. This, is, this is where the real chaos begins. So, of course, nobody I can think of nobody to bring up when it comes to chaos that I think of more in my mind when I think of chaos than Albert Gim. So, Albert and Corey, you are on the clock here for the Atlanta Hawks at 15. What are you thinking? What direction are you thinking for the Atlanta Hawks with the 15th overall pick? Um, I don't know if that was a compliment, um, but I'm going <laughs> to have you known me for long enough by now to know that that's one of the nicest compliments I've ever given to someone. Oh God. I appreciate it. Uh, kind words are always accepted here. <laughs> um, but Corey, I, I think, uh, to start, we have to say that this is one of the biggest question marks, um, in the draft. I think, I don't think anybody knows what Atlanta's thinking or what they want to go with here. And luckily for us, there are a lot of really intriguing names still left on the board. Uh, Jordan Hawkins, still there. Jalen Hitchafino, still there. Um, Jed Howard, my guy, still there. So what, do you, what are you thinking? Where, where do we go with this? I, so I, I have two different kind of ideas on how Atlanta may approach this. One idea is I think that, you know, this is a team that kind of needs to replace what they lost in Kevin Herter in some capacity. Um okay with shooting uh, AJ Griffin had a unbelievable um, you know, uh, rookie season as far mm -hmm. as efficiency and shooting goes. I think he's going to see more minutes next season. Uh, Bogdanovich is in and out of the lineup. I know, you know, he's a guy when he plays, he's, he provides a lot of that. One of the ways that I think that Atlanta can go is by going with Grady Dick, who's a big wing shooter, you know, um, uh, Jalen Johnson, I think, is going to get more time next year. And Yeka Kongwu, uh, Clint Capella, like these guys need floor spacers. I could see 
Grady Dick. Here's the other kind of trade okay. of thought that I've had by looking at how they've approached the last two drafts. They've taken a guy who came into the year as one of the top five projected picks coming into the draft cycle who went to Duke and ended up sliding a little bit. Is there a chance that Derek Whitehead is on their mind at all, historically based on how they've drafted? Now, new front office, so you know that that could put things in perspective. But historically, the Duke guy who's fallen and shot forty percent from three this year, by the way, um, is a potential guy that I could see Atlanta kind of taking a look at. Um, yeah, very possible. <laughs> Um, would I do that? I don't know. Um, but Atlanta definitely could. Um, if I had to pick between those two guys, I think I'd definitely go with Grady Dick, but also Corey, I mean, we have to mention the fact that your guy, Bryce Ensiboff still on the board as well. I don't think that's a fit here, but, um, could be, um, Maxwell Lewis also on the board. But, um, if we're going with either one of those guys, I would have to go with Grady Dick just because, um, yeah, I mean, obviously Dariq struggled with, uh, injury, but, there are some other words to his game that I wonder, I mean, on my board, I think I have like at 30, something like that. So for me, I, I'd like to go with Grady Dick here. I mean, you talked about the size with him, the shooting, um, the way that he cuts and moves um, really good. I mean, you just showed a clip right there of him coming down the lane for a big dunk, sneaky athlete, um, right? Uh, is what people like to say all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in a straight um, line. Yeah, in a straight line, in a straight line. But I, I think an intriguing option. He's gigantic, right? Six eight shooter. Another little, nice little athletic play there. But um, yeah, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably go Grady. Yeah, I, I think that um, you know, Grady being on the board here, forty percent shooter, eighty five percent from the free throw line. Uh, tall, you know, uh, can can attack one two dribbles and pull up in the mid range. Can shoot off balance. Uh, I, I think that he's a lock to have you know an elite skill and you know. Trey, Grady, AJ Griffin, floor spacing, you know, is is pretty fun to think about. Still not going to be able to defend anybody, but um, you know, getting another guy who could put up some points in a hurry. I think who's got some shit to him too. Um, yeah. you know, is a fun pick for Atlanta here at 15. All right, so the Atlanta Hawks go with Grady Dick at pick 15. So now we are done with the first half of the first round. So before we move on to the next pick, just quickly going to run through all the selections we've made so far. So Victor Wembanyama, number one to the San Antonio Spurs. Brandon Miller, number two to the Charlotte Hornets. Scoot Henderson, number three to the Portland Trailblazers. Amen Thompson, number four to the Houston Rockets. Asar Thompson, number five to the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> Anthony Black, number six to the Orlando Magic. Jairus Walker, number seven to the Indiana Pacers. Kobe Bufkin, eight to the Washington Wizards. Cam Whitmore at nine to the Utah Jazz. Taylor Hendricks at 10 for the Dallas Mavericks. Bilal Koulibaly at 11 for the Orlando Magic. Derek Lively at 12 for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Keontae George at 13 for the Toronto Raptors. Casey Wallace at 14 to the New Orleans Pelicans. And just now, Grady Dick to the Atlanta Hawks. So, Paige, you and I are back on the board here for the Utah Jazz and there are definitely two names that I would have said heading into this pick as the potential considerations here. And then Corey Nalbert took one of them to pick before with Brady Dick going to the Atlanta Hawks. So I think we're almost obligated at this point to go with our guy, Jordan Hawkins, right? I think, I think that's a pick. I was yeah. kind of thinking Jet Howard too, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't think Jordan Hawkins should, you know, fall below 16. So I think he's definitely the pick here. I mean, as we talked about it yesterday when we covered, um, my piece that I wrote about Jordan Hawkins, um, you know, he can do 
basically a little bit of everything, right? Obviously, he needs to work on his rim finishing and his defense. You know, we kind of had an argument about his off-ball, um, on-ball stuff, right? But, you know, there's a lot of upside there with his length, athleticism, you know, just his feel for the game in general. And this dude is just a madman coming off screens. And I think he would be a, the perfect fit for the Utah Jazz as, you know, they're kind of not in a rebuild, but, you know, kind of they're kind of trying to build around uh, Laurie Markkinen. And, you know, they have Walker Kessler that had a huge jump this year that I don't think a lot of people were expecting, right? He was an NBA all-rookie all rookie team. Um, so I think Jordan Hawkins would be a perfect fit for them. And, like, especially, you know, if he does come off the bench of being like a microwave score type to start out. Yeah, this is a Jazz team that loves to put up three-pointers. They were fifth in the league last season in three-pointers attempted, but they were 20th in percentage. Mm-hmm. So they're a team that loves to get up shots, but was not necessarily that great at knocking them down. With Jordan Hawkins, you get someone who fits the bill on both of those counts, right? I mean, he was ninth in Division One NCAA men's basketball in terms of three-point attempts this season, and mm-hmm. I am sure that he's going to do that again for Utah this coming season in the NBA. They're going to run him off a lot of screens. They're going to have him you know, get the ball at the top of the key and rise up and shoot. He is going to help them in a way that their offense likes to get those three-point shots, and he's going to definitely improve their efficiency in addition to, you know, continuing to put them up in a way that Utah likes. But let's move on now to the number 17 overall pick. We've got the Lakers on the board here, and Nathan and Maxwell are up with the pick. So, Maxwell, Nathan, what are you thinking here for the Los Angeles Lakers with the 17th overall pick? All right, so... If you're the Los Angeles Lakers in this position, you have a number of interesting options on the board in terms of guard, right? I know Jalen hood Shafino has been a popular name who's been mocked to the Lakers in certain situations, but another name that's been popping up a lot connected to the Lakers would be Jed Howard. And honestly, I think by our board, Jed Howard would be the pick, but also for the Lakers, when you think about how much it makes sense, LeBron's very familiar with Juwan Howard, right, from his days in Miami, so he would trust his son Jet to come in and be a professional, someone who can obviously impact the game from a shooting perspective early on. The Lakers desperately need outside shooting and offense, honestly, efficient, efficient offense wherever they can get it. And Jet, before he suffered both of those ankle injuries, was a prolific shooter from range, not just doing it from a spot-up perspective, but doing it off movement, being someone that they can run off screens, get into the DHOs, maybe run a little bit of pick and roll and be a secondary playmaker. So the Lakers just prioritize not only shooting, but efficient offense in multiple aspects from both the scoring standpoint as well as setting others up for shots. I really think that should be the direction and could very well be the direction the Lakers go on draft night. I think that pick Maxwell makes a ton of sense for the Lakers. It does. And I think the other thing that, and maybe this is a stretch, right? But if, if they're going to lose Austin Reeves, potentially this off season, getting another guy who like has a little bit of size can move the ball um, can play make a little bit and shoot is like a, a good thing to bring in in his place. And I'm not saying that Jet Howard is ready to have that impact out of the gate. Um, but nevertheless, you're getting a guy who is one of the best movement shooters uh, as a freshman in the recent history of college basketball. Very few guys have met his threshold of percentage on free throws, long twos and threes over the last decade. It's basically like just Malik Monk and Trey Young, and that's it. Uh, so you were getting a guy who's who's close to six 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 seven that just has unbelievable shooting touch and, and really good feel. The defense needs some work. Um, there are some kinks that need to be ironed out. He's not the most athletic guy, um, but he knows how to play. Um, and you're getting a guy that's going to knock down shots and can, and can play off your stars. 
the, the moral of the story is if you're six, seven plus and you can dribble pass and shoot, don't overthink it. Just take that player and, and certainly be happy with the results. All right, so the Lakers going with Jet Howard here at 17, certainly someone who Paige and I were considering for the Utah Jazz the pick before, but ends up falling to the Lakers here. And so now we are up on the board with the Miami Heat at pick number 18. So Rucker, Metcalf, what are your thoughts here for directions the Miami Heat might go with this pick? Well, Metcalf, I think Miami could go in a number of different directions. We see how good they are at developing, you know, young talent prospects, especially when they're not drafted. But um, I think there's a name on the board that I'm a little surprised is still there. I think he's a hot name in the NBA circles when you mm-hmm. ask around. I, it would not surprise me if he goes much earlier than this. And I'm wondering if you're feeling the same way, but Jalen Hood Chafino is staring the Miami Heat right in the face, and I don't think Miami could pass up that talent. I, I 100% agree. I think it's the pick here. Um, the, the back injury is kind of hindered him at the beginning of the year, but the way that he grew as a playmaker, as a scorer, as a shooter, as a defender throughout the year, it mirrored what we saw from him at Montverde. And that was one of the best point guards in the country. I I think his size, his offensive versatility, his ability to run a pick and roll, the two man game between him and Bam would be so much fun to watch. And then you just think about him navigating that pick and roll, snaking through the lane and then kicking out to the, their myriad of shooters. I, I think he not only fills a position of need, but also has, you know, potential all-star upside where he could really, really help take this team forward. Um, which, which is really saying something given that they were just in the finals. I just love his game offensively. I think it's mature. Um, he works to get to his spots. He knows his strengths. I'm buying the shots going to develop. I think this is going to be a guy that's, got really good potential to be a problem at the next level. Um, you, you talk to a lot of college coaches, they all praise them. And, you know, we, we've had a couple names like Hood Chafino, Grady Dick that go a little later than some might expect, but this is a talented class. These guys can go all over. All it takes is one kind of curveball pick for it to be kind of a snowball effect. But if Hood Chafino's on the board here, I think Miami would maybe set a record of taking – turning that card in. So I love the fit. I think he would end up in a fantastic place and um, that'd be a good one for the heat heat culture, baby. Yeah. I recently wrote about Jalen Ozerfino, not to plug myself, but plugging myself anyway. Uh, but with Huchafino, he's got a game that is a very interesting fit in a lot of places. And he's had a fascinating journey this year with his draft stock, you know, a lot of that tied to the injury concerns, but even without that, you know, it's been an interesting journey for him, but Definitely could see the Miami Heat as one of the best possible landing spots for him. Let's move on now to the 19th overall pick with the Golden State Warriors. So we're going to call the draft act crew back up. Corey, Albert, what are you thinking the Warriors might do here with the 19th overall pick? So I I think that this is going to be a a team who is actually going to try to get a player that could help them next year. I think this is a team that wants to... Uh, sustain the window that they have with Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and potentially Draymond Green, um, depending on how you know that offseason goes for them. But they have a superstar, arguably top ten player in his, you know, still playing like he's in his prime. And Steph, you have to try to maximize that window. I think that they're going to look um, at the way that Christian Brown, uh, you know, stepped mm-hmm. up in big moments uh, for the the Denver Nuggets on the in route to the championship and I think they're going to look to replicate that getting a guy on a cheap contract who could potentially give them rotation minutes 
I think that they're really going to consider Jaime Jaquez Jr. here. Uh, I think that this is a guy who plays their brand of basketball. They run a lot of split action. You could put him in the post. He can make plays there. You could. He's going to not turn it over on entry passes. He could uh, be used as a screener, similarly to Gary Payton uh, the second. So I, I think that Jaime Jaquez is really buzzing right now because he's just a damn good basketball player. And I think he's somebody that Golden State would really consider. Um, I love that. Um, that's a great option there. Just to kind of throw in another name for consideration, Corey, a guy that I know you and I are big fans of, but even a guy like if we're going along the lines of what you're talking about, right? Bringing in a guy who is NBA ready. I think Colby Jones should be considered as well as another option. I, I think the point that you're making about Hawk is with his size, right? And that ability, I think that makes a little bit more sense, but just want to throw in Colby Jones as well, because I think he could be another e- intriguing option and, if he's going in this range, I think it's just right as well, right? A, a guy who makes all the winning plays, really tough defender, really cares about defense. In the two times that we've talked to him um, on our pod, you know, he, he always talks about defense, right? And he really cares about that side of the ball, but also offensively, he really became a, a better outside shooter, a guy who can move the ball and also moves well without the ball. So I, I was just thinking, I, I think Kobe could be an interesting option as well. But if we take Jaime here, I'd feel great about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Colby, friend of the program. Um, I think Jaquez offers them a little bit more positional size um, yeah. where he can kind of maybe guard up uh, more consistently than Colby. And I think, you know, that's something that they're going to look for. And I, I think that added kind of post game helps, you know, with some of the stuff stylistically that they run. Um, I'd be, and I'd be, you know, I think there's a chance that Jaime actually goes earlier than this. I think he's a perfect heat culture guy uh, as well. Mm. And, uh, you know, from everything we've heard, he's, kicking everybody's ass in workouts. So uh, big, big uh, Jaime Jaquez Jr. fans from everybody on screen right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I know that you two have professed your fandom, but I did want to at least cut in and say that I love Jaime Jaquez as well. So definitely love him going really anywhere in the draft and, you know, him going here to Golden State. He's going to go to a team that can use his gifts really well. So I think this is a great fit for player and team here. Let's now move back to the Houston Rockets. So Paige, you and I are on the board again for the Houston Rockets after taking Ben Thompson for them at fourth overall. So what are you thinking in terms of potential selections for the Rockets here at 20? Yeah, I think the Rockets could go uh, various ways. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think this pick is a little tough for me. Um, some of the names I was kind of thinking, Maxwell Lewis is still on the board, Bryce Sensaba. Uh, I do like Colby Jones here. I think, you know, you have a very young core of, you know, Amen Thompson, Jalen Green, Sangoon, you have Jabari Smith. You know, I think if you plug Colby Jones in it, um, you know, he, as Albert mentioned, he can kind of do a little bit of everything, right? You feel very, when he's on the court, everything just flows for him. And it just, he just is a really safe player, in my opinion. And I think having that kind of like veteran level, you know, rookie coming in in a sense would be good for the Rockets team going forward. What do you think? So you brought up a few of the names that I wanted to mention. There were, there are a couple of other names that I thought might make sense for the Rockets just because they've been rider risers on boards in Mm -hmm. recent weeks. And since the Rockets have two first round picks, you know, they might be leaning in the direction of one of those guys who's been rising up boards. So Jaime Jaquez was one of the two names I was thinking of there, you know, Corey and Albert just took him. So obviously that's not available. Uh, Brandon Pajemski is someone else who's been rising up boards Mm -hmm. quite a bit in recent weeks. And he's someone that the Rockets might consider, but 
Ultimately, I think I'm going to go towards one of the names that you mentioned in Colby Jones. I think he's a perfect fit for what this Rockets team needs. I mean, they need defense, they need shooting, and they need mature two-way players. And Colby Jones checks off all of those boxes. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Colby Jones just makes so much sense here. And I think he should be the pick for the Rockets at 20. I mean, they need a lot of what he provides. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be interesting, you know, how they go moving forward. But I think, you know, leaving the draft with, you know, Amen and Colby is in the right direction, at least for now. Yeah, at least for now. I, I love how you had to add that clarifier. <laughs> yeah. In the chat, the Rockets, yeah, they need it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so up next, we have two consecutive picks by the Brooklyn Nets at 21 and 22. So for the first of those picks, we are going to bring back the Draft Deeper crew, Nathan and Maxwell. So Nathan, Maxwell, what are your thoughts on potential directions the Brooklyn Nets might be looking to go in here at 21? We got to stop a fall that's happening on the board right now. Um, he may be a guy that we are lower on, but I think he's a guy that could potentially fit what the Brooklyn Nets are looking for and bring them someone that could be a long-term ceiling raiser if everything works out correctly. We're going to go with Nick Smith Jr. Um, out of Arkansas with this pick. Look, everybody knows he had, he had a rough season. Um, his games where he scored a lot of points, he still took a lot of shots. He had one really good six-game stretch. Uh, but otherwise kind of struggled to put together consistent games, uh, really struggled in terms of his passing, didn't offer much as a rebounder, a defensive playmaker, uh, just a very muted production season from him. Um, but this was a guy who was top five in his class coming out of high school. He is lightning quick. Um, he has really long arms. Uh, so if you're playing him at the point guard spot, he's going to get bigger in time. And, and when he does, he's going to be a really good uh, point guard defender in time. I really believe he does a solid job of navigating screens um, when they're called out to him and he's able to feel those out. And if he can get his shot back going again, which there's reason to believe he was always a really high level floater guy, really good mid range score um, and still wasn't atrocious from three this season on a high degree of difficulty. This is a guy that gives him much, much needed guard depth and guard youth. Because right now, your only younger guard is Cam Thomas. Uh, a guy like Drew Smith is is solid. Somebody I really liked coming out of Missouri. Hasn't really shown much at the NBA level. Edmund Sumner's had some injuries. And then it's Seth Curry and Patty Mills. So you need a youth injection at the guard spot. And you get somebody that, you know, prior to a rough season where he dealt with a lot of injuries, was thought very highly of. So with Nick Smith, you're getting somebody that can uh, be a bit of an upside play here, but also fills a, a positional void that you have. Maxwell always does a great job at, at breaking down the prospects game. And, and just one thing I want to add, I, I tweeted out last week that Nick Smith had a lot of really great buzz around him. And that was for good reason, right? I've, I've talked to multiple people behind the scenes, you know, per, per good, good old per sources from draft deeper over here, but the Intel around Nick Smith is really good, right? He's a really good kid, obviously had some tough breaks this year due to injuries, but when his game is on, you go back and you watch the high school tape, he was cooking right down in Arkansas and, I think if, if the intel checks out, if he is a good kid, hard worker, we know about his competitive nature, came back to play at Arkansas when a lot of people didn't think he would. A lot of people thought he could have shut it down in January, which is why I actually wrote a piece for NoStonesNBA.com. You know, have we seen the last of Nick Smith Jr.? If we have, how do we evaluate his game? You still have to think about the type of upside that could be there as a two-way combo guard who could certainly provide value. We know he can get buckets, but everything he can do if he fills out the rest of his game and you know, given a lot of the background, seems like he's going to put in the work to do that. Could be a real good steal here for Brooklyn at 21. 
All right, so we are back on the board with the Brooklyn Nets here, but we are not back on the board with Nathan and Maxwell. So we're going to bring the Tylers back up to the stage to deal with this second pick for the Brooklyn Nets. What are you two thinking in terms of possible directions for the Brooklyn Nets at 22 overall? I have to give a shout out to the draft deeper boys because me and Metcalf were talking on the side and we were saying, I guess Nick Smith should go here. And then right when they took him, I think Metcalf sent me just a very excited text. So obviously smart minds think alike, but Metcalf, we have to stress to everyone watching. This is a mock draft of what we think is going to happen. Not what we would do because this guy that I think me and you are in agreement on is going to go in the first round. We have him lower on our board, but it makes a lot of sense to a team like Brooklyn, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tell everyone who it is. Yeah, and first off, the synergies between the No Ceilings crew here are phenomenal because we were debating Nick Smith at this pick, but this is a guy who received a green room invite, big time upside swing, a little similar to Nick Smith, but I don't think everyone was necessarily expecting him to be a one and done. But pr- someone who can provide some defensive versatility, some rebounding. Um, we're going Noah Clowney. He got that green room invite suggesting that there are a lot of teams in the first round who are very, very interested in Noah Clowney. And he might be a little bit more of a project. But with Brooklyn, he should have the time to develop. There are a lot of pieces around him where his role will be really simple early on. And that's awesome for a young developing player. His ability to end possessions with block shots or defensive rebounds is incredibly important for a player like him. He has some offensive versatility with really efficient play finishing inside the arc. And the three-point percentage wasn't necessarily there, but the volume was suggesting that he has confidence in it and that willingness to shoot, which is a good indicator for long-term growth. So he's he's still pretty raw the he he will be a bit more of a project but with Brooklyn he has a lot of two-way uh upside and versatility where he could turn into a really really important role player for them absolutely I I think the upside with him and you talk about rim protection rebounding he's got a lot of good foundational skills to work with so a, a team like Brooklyn that can be patient let him develop obviously they have Nick Claxton but they need more bigs. They need some size. There's a lot of guys on the board they could have gone with, but I think Clowney is a popular name in NBA circles. And, you know, I think this would be a good value for, for Brooklyn with one of those picks. They're two swings, but swings that you could probably afford to take at this point that could pay off in a big way. All right, so that takes care of the back-to-back picks for the Brooklyn Nets. So now we are back on the board with the Portland Trailblazers. So they got Scoot Henderson with the third overall pick in this exercise. And so we're going to throw back to the team that made that pick for Portland at three, Corey and Albert, the draft act crew. What are your guys' thoughts on potential directions for the Portland Trailblazers here at 23rd overall? I mean, I think that Portland is going to have defense on their mind. Hmm. Um, you know, this is a team that I think really, really needs that defensive help from the front court guys that could potentially protect the rim and, um, you know, stop guys from scoring because they have a ton of offense, um, and they need more of the other thing to actually win games. That seems like it's the thing that's stopping them from, you know, advancing, uh, and, and actually making the playoffs right now. So, uh, Albert, I'm going to throw a name at you. Um, somebody that I know that the people in their front office with are very familiar with, an international name, a guy playing in one of the best leagues in the world, 
who uh, just so happens to be like an absolute physical freak of nature at seven feet with a seven, seven wingspan. Um, and that's James Najee. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. I mean, the, the two names that I had here and, and Corey, it's funny the way that you just described things. I mean, sometimes basketball is not that complicated. Um, if you have a lot of offense, adding some defense makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, balance uh, is good. And I think James Najee is a great pick. Uh, the two names that came to mind here, I thought um, were James Najee and then uh, Leonard Miller. I thought could be an intriguing option as well. If I'm picking between the two, I'm going Najee for sure. I know there are others that feel otherwise, but um, I, I like Najee. I mean, you look at his body, the guy's freaking gigantic. He's going to be a nightmare. I, he's NBA ready in terms of his physicality, athleticism, his athletic freak, um, a guy who, I mean, his role is going to be pretty simple, in my opinion. Um, you're going to need him to be a rim roller. You're going to need him to protect the rim. Uh, but you know what? Portland doesn't have a lot of that. Um, I think they've figured that out so far with Yusuf Nur- Nur- Nurkic that he's uh, probably not the answer there and probably isn't helping out too much with the defensive stuff. So I, I-, I love the pick with Najee. I-, I think with him, like the future outlook with him as a defender is pretty terrifying. I- the way that he moves his feet and all that, like he's going to add some real versatility defensively as well. And then offensively, I think his role is going to be really defined and easy and simple. So um, I-, I think it's a great pick and to pair him with Scoot to start, uh, would be fantastic. Not that I'm say, saying Najee's going to start games, but um, these are good building blocks to add if you're going to go and get Scoot Henderson. So uh, I'm totally down for that. All right. The Sacramento Kings are now on the clock at 24. For any of you who have listened to an episode of the Deep Dives podcast on the No Ceilings Network, you know that I will find a way to shoehorn my Sacramento Kings into at least one conversation in every single episode. So Paige, no pressure here, but I may have to never speak to you again. If you make a bad selection here for the Kings, what are your thoughts for potential options for Sacramento at 24? Yeah. So obviously the Sacramento Kings had an amazing season, right? I mean, they had, in my opinion, the best first round game I've personally watched in my lifetime against the Golden State Warriors. You know, they were, they led the league in offense, but they kind of struggled defensively. You know, we kind of saw in the playoffs, uh, they didn't really have a lot of rim protection, right? Against uh, Kevon Looney and whatnot. Um, I was actually going to leave this pick up to you, Nick. It's your team. I want to see where you go, and we can go from there. I And then I'll say kind of the names that I was going to think beforehand. So the two biggest areas for need in my mind for the Sacramento Kings team, they need a backup big who can run the offense whenever Demonis Sabonis sits. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that big is really on the board here. So I think that's probably something the Kings would look to address either in free agency or via trade. So with that in mind, I think I'd be looking more along the lines of sort of wing forward depth. I mean, the team has a lot of guards and, you know, the center area we sort of already discussed, but I mean, I think this team could really do with an upgrade for the Terrence Davis slash Kessler Edwards minutes. So I had a few sort of players in mind for that. I wanted to you know get your thoughts quickly. So first name I sort of thought of here for them is CD Sissoko, who's someone I've been very high on for quite a while. I think he really helps out with the defense. The shot's not quite there yet, but I mean, this is a Kings team that had the number one offensive league last year, right? That's not the biggest concern, but CD brings absolutely exceptional playmaking upside and also real defensive potential, you know, six, eight wing who produced in, you know, a pretty sizable role, especially down the stretch with the G League Unite this season. He, 
showed significant improvements from the start of the season to the end of the year. And I think he's someone who could really help the Kings out on both ends of the floor, but that's sort of, you know, my personal Homer pick, you know, I've been very in on him for a while. I think a couple other names that make sense here, Julian Strother. I mean, he's someone who helps out with a three point shooting and, you know, defensively he's had some really strong flashes for Gonzaga. I think he's someone who can make a lot of sense here. And then finally, I'm just going to, bring him up even though i'm not as high on him personally but bryce sensible has fallen a bit down this particular mock draft mm-hmm. so he's someone that could be in consideration as well but that isn't really what the kings need as much what they really need is competent to a forward play so i'm going to instead bring up the biggest homer pick of all which is ultimately going to be my selection here let's get chris murray to the sacramento kings yeah, too why not it. let's yeah. do it perfect yeah I, I i had you know chris murray i was thinking julian phillips too Mm-hmm. Be a nice pick, City Sissoko. They're kind of all in the same tier for me. You know, uh, tall. They have plus positional size. They can defend, and they have shooting upside too. So, or Chris Murray. You know, he was one of the be- best, one of the better shooters in this draft class. You know, Julian Phillips, City, kind of still working on that shot, right? But you know, why not have a reunion with Chris and Keegan? Perfect. <laughs> All right, so now we are up on the board for the Memphis Grizzlies at 25. So, Nathan Maxwell, back in the house. What are your thoughts on potential directions for the Grizzlies here with the 25th overall pick? Maxwell, some of our favorite players are still on the board, right? But as we've said Mm -hmm. multiple times, this isn't just what we would do. We got to think about what the Memphis Grizzlies are going to do. Obviously, Olivier Mexas Prosper is a name who we've heard a lot about in this pre-draft process. Ben Shepard is a guy who I've heard great things about. Intel points to him also being a potential top 25 selection. But there's one more name that I haven't mentioned yet who analytically checks a lot of the boxes that the Memphis Grizzlies would look for. And Maxwell and I are in agreement. I think Brandon Pachemski has to be the pick out of Santa Clara. So, with the Grizzlies, what this gives them is it gives them an injection of scoring from the perimeter, from that guard position, right? Brandon Pachemski's shot chart, as we published in the No Ceilings Draft Guide, absolutely ridiculous. It's red everywhere, so immediately they get that offensive boost. He's someone who proved, especially at the NBA Draft Combine, can certainly play out of pick and roll and give them some efficient play there. But one of the things about the fit with Brandon Pachemski is – There's been some rumors with the Memphis Grizzlies. They could possibly look to deal Tyus Jones to the Toronto Raptors, and maybe that's a trade that can net them someone like an OG and an OB back to help add some wing depth since Dylan Brooks is likely not going to be with the team next season. So if that's the direction the Grizzlies go, they could really use some help at that backup guard spot because the the cover's going to be bare if Tyus Jones is out. Brad Pachevsky not just checking the boxes from a fit perspective in terms of how his game translates, also just really fills a need on the roster. Yeah, and the Grizzlies love hyper-productive college players. Like, that is 100% their type. Um, They love the high steal, block, assist, rebound percentages. Like, that, those are their guys, and that's what Brandon Pachemski is. And with the aggressive shopping of Tyus Jones, it just makes him even more valuable. And the other thing with Pachemski, too, is, like, this is a guy who's gotten a green room invite, there's talk he could potentially even go higher than this. Like AirPods is going first round. And with Memphis, you're getting another guy too, where like Desmond Bain started to show some more tertiary playmaking stuff this past off season. So it's like, you can run the two of them together. He can play off of Bain with his ability to space the floor. He has beyond NBA range. He's got that beautiful hierarching floater that we've seen here a few times. That thing is a moon ball and it goes in a lot. Um, and defensively, I, th- I understand the concerns, right? Like he's, he's physically small. 
Um, he's not the fastest, but he really knows what he's doing out there. And he anticipates and makes a lot of plays in passing lanes on defense. I think he's going to be a little bit better there than people might anticipate. Um, and I think that's going to do wonders for him early in his career because like the jaw suspension situation, the lack of depth, of point guard, like he might get thrown to the wolves early. And, and I do think he's going to do better than people would anticipate on that side. All right, so Brandon Pajemski going to the Memphis Grizzlies at 25th overall. Now back to the Indiana Pacers for their second pick of the first round here. So back with the Tylers, Rucker, Metcalf. What are you thinking in terms of directions for this second pick here by the Indiana Pacers in the first round? Well, Metcalf... The, the draft process is a magical thing because you can all of a sudden be a, a mid second rounder or kind of early second rounder. And if you just have a good couple of weeks, you can become a very popular name. And I think me and you have gone back and forth about a lot of names that are still on the board. I know mm-hmm. Leonard Miller is still there. A lot of people are in the chat are very aggressive to see where Leonard Miller is going, but I think we're going to go a different direction. I think we're going with OMP. What do you think Metcalf? Do you think this is a good fit? Yeah, I mean, when you think about the the Pacers adding Olivier Maxence, Prosper, and Jairus Walker, how much better their defense gets immediately. And I still have some questions about OMP's offense and the shooting and all of that. But at a bare minimum, he is going to be a highly effective and highly versatile wing defender who you can just put on the other team's best perimeter player on a nightly basis. And the the idea of throwing more projects and you know long term outlook guys at Indiana is intriguing from you know our perspective. But when you think about Rick Carlisle and how who he wants to deal with, who he wants to coach, this is the exact type of guy that fits perfectly into this roster where he can cover up some of the defensive warts from Benedict Matherin. He can be an, an efficient knockdown shooter uh, playing off of Tyrese Halliburton and Jairus Walker. I think his two-way versatility and the, the shooting improvements that he's shown during this pre-draft proce- or process have skyrocketed him upwards, have earned him a green room invite and have kind of made him a solidified first rounder. You've got offensive firepower with Halliburton and Matherin. And I think the the direction you can really start making yourself a, a team that's taking steps quickly is you start getting some nastiness on the defensive side of the ball. And I know offense is sexy. We all want the prospects that could potentially put up 20 a game. But I'm like you, Metcalf. If Indiana left with their first two picks with Jairus Walker and OMP, they're getting nastiness now on defense. You don't need to worry about getting other bucket getters. You need to get guys that can make game-winning plays make an impact in a number of different areas. I think this would be another great pick. And, you know, Indiana would be looking in a, a really good direction quickly. I would I would love this for the Pacers. All right. So Olivier Maxence Prosper going to the Indiana Pacers with the 26th overall pick. We are back on the board with the Charlotte Hornets now. So Corey and Albert, you're up here for the Charlotte Hornets at 27. They went with Brandon Miller, second overall. What are you thinking in terms of possible directions for the Charlotte Hornets here at 27? Albert, I think we're just going to try to build a team that could light the net on fire because we believe that Mark Williams can anchor that defense and hold us down. Um, I think that having LaMelo at 6'8", getting Brandon Miller at 6'9", and putting that pairing 
with a guy who the only reason that I believe he's still on the board is due to the medicals um, <clears throat> the that he's received on his knees. This is a guy who averaged 40 points or per 100 possessions, 27 points per 40, shot 48, 40, 83 this year. Just an absolute gunner. I'm talking about Bryce Sensabaugh here. Yeah, I mean, Corey, it seems like the stars have really aligned uh, for us tonight uh, with almost every single pick we've made. But uh, Sensabaugh's a guy that is in the top five, top six for the both of us in terms of our big boards. So to get him here at 27, the back end of the first round seems like absolutely wild value for the Hornets here. As you mentioned, you know, his marquee skill isn't going to be defense. Um, not to say that we think he's a bad defender, uh, as some have kind of portrayed him as. But I, I, I think... Obviously, you have to talk about the shooting. Uh, the shooting is going to be incredible with him. Oh, sorry, was incredible. And I think will continue to be something that uh, we've highlighted a bunch talking about him. Is, his footwork is just unbelievable in the mid-range um, and will continue to be so, I think. Um, I think, Corey, you said that he has some of the best work, uh, foot, footwork you've seen in the draft in a very long time, right? And I think that's fair to say. And he's going to be an absolute offensive weapon to go along with what they're adding. And Brandon Miller, I think, is a great choice. And also, like at the very least, his spot-up stuff is going to be unbelievable. Just the spacing that he'll offer with his shooting from the outside is going to be awesome as well. And then as he continues to develop and work on his body, which I think he is, I mean, some of the pre-draft photos we've seen of him, he looks fa- like like he's in fantastic shape right now, which is great for him. And if all the medical's clear, then the Hornets getting him at this spot might be the absolute steal of the draft. So, um, yeah, I think that's why we went with Bryce here. All right, so the fall stops for Bryce Sensible at 27 with the Charlotte Hornets. So now the Utah Jazz are back on the clock for their third pick of this first round. And for the second time, I'm going to be making that pick with Paige. So Paige, what are you thinking in terms of possible directions for Utah here at 28? Yeah, so I mean, they took Cam Whitmore with the ninth overall pick. You know, we got Jordan Hawkins with the 16th overall pick, you know, and they could go a lot of different directions, right? I think, you know, on my personal big board, I have Maxwell Lewis, the highest available. I think he could also be a steal of the draft, like Bryce Sensiball, the slow at 28. Um, he offers a lot of create creativity off the dribble. He has awesome size. He has great movement patterns on the floor. You know, he does struggle with his decision-making at times um, and his shot-making, I think, could use a little bit of fine-tuning and also his defense, Right. And I also think Leonard Miller could be a pick here for the Utah Jazz. Um, he offers, you know, a lot more size. You know, he's kind of a double-double machine, right? You know, his shot still needs to come along. You know, they're kind of, you know, the opposite ends of the stick, right? So those are just two of the names that I had kind of in this range. Yeah, I think those are two really great names to have in this range. I would also just bring C.D. Sissoko back up because he's someone yeah. who's higher on my board than where we're at with the draft right now. But Deciding between one of those two, I think I I think I agree that it has to be I think Maxwell Lewis is the pick here. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. Utah team traded away a lot of their sort of smaller forward depth at the trade deadline. So this is a team that really could use sort of a future, you know, lockdown three type of guy. And, you know, with Maxwell Lewis, again, the defense is going to be an issue early on. But I mean, the kind of shot creation that he provides, you know, getting him at 28, especially for a team that, you know, kind of has a hole on the wing where he would slot in perfectly. Mm-hmm. I think this is an awesome pick for the Utah Jazz at 28. Yeah, for sure. And I think kind of we're forgetting that, you know, he was a lottery pick. A lot of people had him as a lottery pick, you know, at the beginning of the draft. And I think 
he could end up being a really solid, solid piece for the Jazz um, in years to come even. All right, so that is the pick for the Utah Jazz at 28. And now on to the championship-winning Denver Nuggets at 29. So we're back on the board here with the Draft Deeper crew, Nathan and Maxwell. So what are your thoughts on potential directions here for the championship-winning Denver Nuggets? Yeah, we are going to we are gonna do uh, something similar to what they did last year. We are going to find a guy who is a good, productive college player that knows how to play with and without the ball. Um, we're going to give him Ben Shepard out of Belmont with this pick here. Uh, so the movement shooting numbers go absolutely wild for Ben Shepard. So in an offense where uh, someone else is orchestrating the offense and he's going to be running around and moving, um, it's going to be a pretty ideal fit for him. He was 41.5% from three on the season. Uh, but if you look at the numbers, it's a pick and roll ball handler, 45.8% from three. In transition, 42.9% from three. Off screens, 48.7% from three. And in handoffs, which is uh, something that Denver likes to do, uh, 47.6% from three. So this is a guy that you can have run all over the floor. And something else about Ben Shepard that I think gets overlooked because a lot of people weren't really on to him uh, last season is when he played as a junior, they had a tremendous table-setting point guard on that team. He was an excellent cutter. And he came into college as a subpar shooter. And his whole game was just being an energy guy that, that cut and got easy shots at the basket. So when you're putting him in this offense with Nikola Jokic orchestrating the post, orchestrating the top of the key, this is a guy who's going to be able to do everything without the ball. And with it, he's still a really good decision maker. He got a lot better playing with the ball in his hands. I think this is a really, really good fit and a guy that they can continue to build with. It's not just a great fit, Maxwell, but it's it, the, he's going to come in and fill a position of need, right? So Bruce Brown... There are many reports out that he's projected to leave the, the Denver Nuggets, and for good reason, right? He's due for a massive pay raise, probably somewhere in the $15 to $18 million annual rate, which means Denver's not going to keep him. So they obviously have a need at the backcourt. And I get that there's a lot of intriguing forwards slash bigger combo wings still on the board, but the one thing that they really don't do, despite all the defensive versatility they provide, some of the cutting like Maxwell was talking about is, is something that the Nuggets really look to take advantage of with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, you know, someone who can play off that two-man game. But the Nuggets just won an NBA championship, which means they're going to be back deep in the playoffs next year. And when you get deep in the playoffs, you can't have guys on the court who can't shoot well from three-point range. You have to be able to put the ball in the basket from the perimeter. Ben Shepard's going to give you some of those ancillary things. He's going to provide some secondary playmaking, but as Maxwell noted at the top, first and foremost, it's the shooting, and he's going to give that, and he's going to be able to play minutes right away for the Denver Nuggets. All right, so we are now at the final pick of the first round, pick number 30, which has just been traded to the Washington Wizards, in theory, as of not quite yet, but in terms of, you know, actual practice, that pick has been traded, so it belongs to the Washington Wizards. So quickly to run through the names that we selected with the first 29 picks, the in order, Victor Wembanyama, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Amen Thompson, Asar Thompson, Anthony Black, Jairus Walker, Kobe Bufkin, Cam Whitmore, Taylor Hendricks, Bilal Kulabali, Derek Lively, Keontae George, Kaysen Wallace, Grady Dick, Jordan Hawkins, Jet Howard, Jalen Hood Jaffino, Jaime Jaquez, Colby Jones, Nick Smith Jr., Noah Clowney, James Najee, Chris Murray, Brandon Pajemski, Olivia Maxonis Prosper, Bryce Sensabaugh, Max Lewis, and Ben Shepard. So, Tylers, what are you thinking here to close this one out? First of all, I have to say thanks to everyone in the chat. Um, we'll have our second round, full round up on No Ceilings NBA 
com tomorrow morning with full analysis for the entire draft. But Metcalf, I can't believe it's come down to this point. <laughs> We're going to shock the world. I thought the draft deeper crew was going to do it with the last pick. Sucks. We are, we're, we love the fans. We, we hear their voice. We hear their battle cry. I think Leonard Miller's got to go here to the Washington Wizards. We're projecting that this Porzingis trade is going to happen and Washington's going to be picking. But I think at some point he could go so much earlier. He had a fantastic year when it comes to his developmental, you know, path he took forward. And everyone wants Leonard Miller off the board. So I, I think Leonard Miller, you know, Washington's in a position. We drafted Kobe Bufkin earlier. They're just going to be building. Now they got to start kind of this rebuild process. And Leonard was one of the most productive kind of forwards. I think he's a very active rebounder. Uh, me and you are kind of wondering if someone might play him a little bit more in the post because um, he's just so active around the basket. So what do you think? Yeah, and for a team that's really tearing it down to the studs, I think this is a great fit for him to kind of go out and do a lot of what he did with the Ignite this year, which was yep. a lot of the dirty work. It was rebounding. It was rim protection. The defense was a mess for a lot of the year, but it improved throughout. And he showed a willingness to not only work incredibly hard, but to be super coachable. And coming from where he was last year to this year, that is such a huge transformation in a player's game. Um, <laughs> and that's just a it's really exciting for what he could be. I think what he is is still really theoretical. But when we look at the Wizards roster, um, or at least what it's projected as uh, right today, uh, assuming all of these trades go through, the only size on this team is Daniel Gafford, Danilo Gallinari, Anthony Gill, and Xavier Cooks. Not great. So Not he's going to get yeah. a whole lot of playing time. He's going to have time to work through the the errors in his game. He's going to have a lot of space to rebound, to crash the glass, to pick up the, the speed of the game on defense. They, there's just so much here to get excited about for a team that wants to tank and rebuild from the ground up. It's, you know, it, it's really interesting because I think Washington now, that second pick, like this is a guy that if he falls, it's an unbelievable, this makes sense. We've been looking for the fit. Maybe the Wizards yeah. completed the full circle and now they're giving <laughs> us the fit. I think Washington's going to be in a great position where now you have a new front office. You can finally start to grow because you have Bradley Beal out of there. You can try to find a direction, you know, take a page from the thunder and just get these guys some playing time. And Leonard Miller would go to a great spot. He could play, he could get reps and develop some confidence. So I actually like it, Metcalf. It's funny how it's come full circle, but I actually like the pick here. And as the two biggest Leonard Miller believers at No Ceilings, <laughs> clearly, you know, this is a pick that you both just absolutely adore. I'm stunned, honestly, that you didn't make this pick for the Hornets at two. But, you know, hey, you get him all the way at 30. You know, I, I get it. I get it. Uh, they could go in a number of directions. We got a lot of talented guys yeah. still on the board that I think um, a lot of us at No Ceilings, a lot of people in the chat might be like, how is he not gone? And remember, like we keep saying it, this isn't what we would do. This is what we think is going to happen. So. It's going to be a crazy draft. There's going to be some names that surprise us that are going to be on the board in the second round. But that written mock tomorrow with the second round, I have a feeling some of these names are going to go fast. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that does it for us tonight here for this 2023 NBA Mock Draft V8. Thank you all so much for tuning in, for hanging out with us for a little bit tonight. Of course, as you can see on the screen, we will be having a live NBA draft show tomorrow. So starting at 730 Eastern, 430 Pacific, we will be here. The No Ceilings team will cover all the picks start to finish go through analysis for every pick and just deep dive on this spectacular draft. It's been an amazing year for us. And we're so, so grateful to all of you for the support. And we hope that all of you who are here tonight will also check out that written mock draft that has been mentioned tomorrow. And of course, will join us for the NBA draft tomorrow night. But again, thank you all so much. It's been an incredible year and it's been an incredible draft. And we hope to see you all tomorrow night. Until then.